Well, good morning, everyone. I've got good news and bad news. Which would you like first? The bad news. Duck season is over today. I know. I know. But the good news is turkey season starts in a couple months, so there is, there is redemption for me. Hey, I want to do something uh, kind of fun before we start. Uh, how many have someone in your home that has a hard time cleaning up after themselves here? Anyone here today? Uh, I, listen, I've got some, this is worth coming to church, what I'm about to show you. I have a little 30-second instructional video that will help you to the nth degree. Take a little look here. Good job. All right, go get down. It's my grandson. The cleanup is a two-handed process. Both hands. Don't be distracted. He'll be happy to come by your house for a small price of $19.95 and help you with any cleanup jobs that you have. <laughs> hey, I'm glad you're here today. We want to finish the series, In Search of Significance. We started the first Sunday in January. Can you believe the last one is here already? By significance, I mean that our life will have lasting meaning, that there is something about my life that will live on after me, that there is an eternal significance and friends, the way we find this eternal significance is very clear in the Bible. It's by serving the Lord with our time, talent, and treasure. Uh, I joke about my hobbies a lot and things that I love to do and have fun, but you know what? None of that is lasting. But what you do for Christ will last forever. Now, I want to, from that foundation, I want to move ahead to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 7 to a scene in heaven. Uh, John, it was John the Beloved, one of the disciples. He was exiled to the island called Patmos, and he had this vision of the last days. It was given originally to seven churches in Asia Minor, but there were things yet to come, and even today yet to come. And in this vision of the future, notice uh, John says this, After the vision I looked, and there was a great number of people, so many that no one could count them. They are from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language of the earth. This is why in Matthew 28, Jesus told us to go into all the world and share the gospel. And notice all these people standing before the throne. This is the throne of God. And before the Lamb, that's Jesus, wearing white robes signifying the righteousness of Christ and holding palm branches in their hands. And they're shouting in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God. And it's that word salvation or saved that I'm going to focus on a lot today. Uh, salvation to God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. Now many commentators believe this is a picture of the people that have come out of the great tribulation on the earth and they're now in heaven. But here's my question to you. How did they get there? Why did they go to heaven? There's just kind of an assumption on the earth. You know, there's, I think there's a little book written that all good dogs go to heaven or something like that. There's just, you know, even people that don't really believe or practice, everybody believes everybody's going to heaven, but it's not true. How did these people get there? Well, friends, I'll give you one very simple answer. Someone told them about the Savior, and then they began to believe and follow Jesus Christ. Someone told them that there was one that could save them from the penalty of their sin, and they believed in Jesus and followed him. Now, I want to read another scripture that intertwines with that one, Romans chapter 10. 
It gives this promise, and then it asks three questions. The promise is this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In other words, everyone that looks to Jesus, everyone that believes in him, and there's that word saved. But then he asks three questions. How can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? For you see, even Jesus said, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe, believe would not perish, but have everlasting life. Then he asked another question, How they, can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? But then he asked the question that comes home to me, How can they hear about him unless someone tells, someone tells them? And that someone, friends, is us. People can't be saved from the consequences of sin without a Savior. And the most eternally significant thing that you and I can do is to tell another person about the Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. In your searching for significance, for your life to matter, the most significant thing you can do with your life is to tell another person about the Savior, Jesus Christ. And today I want to talk to you uh, in a very personal level about your personal witness for Christ. There is somehow a, a misnomer in the Christian world that the guys on this side of the pulpit do the work of the ministry and the guys on that side of the pulpit come and listen and then go have a good life. Not true. My role, the Bible says, as a pastor, as a teacher, is to equip you for the work of the ministry. It's to teach you things that will help you be spiritually strong and successful in life. And today I talk about your personal witness in Christ, uh, which simply means helping more people go to heaven. Uh, I'm going to tell you why it's important to every Christian. Hopefully through the life of Paul, I can inspire you in this. But then I want to help you in a very practical way how to start this conversation to tell someone about the Lord. Uh, what do you tell them once you talk to them? And I don't know about you. Now, I, my personality, I'm a little bit of an introvert, uh, and I have a little shy side. Anybody else? The rest of you? How many liars are here today? Can I see the hand of every liar? Yeah, okay. All right. I'm a little on the shy side, and particularly when it comes to talking to someone about Jesus. You say, well, you're a preacher. You shouldn't be. Well, I am. And it's the hardest to talk to my family and my friends. Have you ever tried to get in a conversation with someone, and you wanted to talk about the Lord, and you said, uh, hey, uh, uh, I'd, uh, I, I'd, li I, I, I'd like to talk. talk to you about something that's really, really, really important today. Well, go ahead, man. Just spit it out. Well, uh, uh, do, do, you, do you like go to church or anything? It's just hard to talk to somebody about the Savior. I want to help you today make that easy. I've entitled the message. It's a lengthy title, but it's, are you 100% sure you'd go, you're going to heaven? Because if you think about the fact that every human being that has ever lived on the face of the planet will spend eternity in a real place called heaven or a real place called hell, doesn't it make sense that I as a Christian should want to do everything I can to populate heaven? Shouldn't I as a Christian want to do everything I can to make sure not only my family, my friends, but even my enemies experience the love of God so they can spend eternity in a real place called heaven. Well, I'm going to teach you how to do that this morning. Uh, Acts chapter 16 is where I want to begin about a guy that was a lot like us. His name was Paul. And Paul had this habit of telling others about the Savior wherever he went. 
And, and it wasn't like he went out like years ago in church, it was popular to have a night. And you would go, you know, knocking on doors or you would do street witnessing on Tuesday nights. It, it was not like a little segment of his life that where he would set aside an hour to talk to someone. It was just a natural part of his life. And I want you to uh, step into the story. Acts chapter 16, we're in the, he's in this city in Philippi. Paul and Silas met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. Now, the Bible teaches, you know, you, you and I see signs that say psychic hotline or, you know, 20 bucks and they'll read your future or palm readers. I mean, no, that's a bunch of malarkey. Uh, but yet there are demonic spirits that can somehow tell the future and speak to people. Well, there, they, there was a girl here, and she had the ability to tell the future. Well, she's following Paul, and she's shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God, They've come to tell you how to be saved. Now, you would think that that would sound pretty good, but Paul got, you know, he got a little bit out of shape out of it. But let me explain why. This phrase, most high God, if you're there in this Gentile world they lived in, uh, that referred to the God Zeus. God most high was not the Christian God, the true God. It was referring to Zeus. This meaning of how to be saved or the way of salvation, that wouldn't have been clear to the people that were listening because in the Greek culture, in the Roman world, there were many, many saviors. The emperor himself declared himself a savior of all people. So Paul got irritated with the girl because what she was saying was true, but it was misunderstood by the people that didn't know Christ. And she, he was afraid that Jesus might be perceived as just another of the many gods that were there uh, among, the Greek, uh, among the Greek culture. Now look at verse 18. Paul got so exasperated, he turned and he said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Now, secular culture today doesn't believe in demons and angels and spirits. They don't believe in God. Their starting place is all of what we see. It's in the natural. If it can't be quantified or put under a microscope, it's not real. But the Bible teaches us that there is a real spiritual world. There is an unseen world that's out there. And how many know if somebody's afflicted by a demon, you can't counsel it out. You cast it out in the name of Jesus. I pray to God, God would give us that kind of spiritual power in the church because the world is filled with people they don't know what to do with. They don't know what to do with serial killers. There's a spirit of murder that's in our land. Violence. People are driven by violence. I mean, there's so many things that have this demonic sense about them. But anyway, he speaks to this spirit. It leaves her, and you'd think people would be happy but her master's hopes of wealth were shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas, dragged them before the authorities, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten. Now, when I was a little boy, I would get a spanking with a little switch. It would turn your bottom red, but it wouldn't hurt. Well, they got spanked with boards that were like, let's say, as thick as one or two fingers. It had some, it had some flex to it, but it would bruise. So they're beaten, they're thrown in prison. Actually, it says the inner prison in stocks. So they're in the darkest place. I mean, no, no HBO TV. You know, there's no three times a day for meals. There's creepy crawlers crawling on your feet. It's not a nice place. But here's what I want you to see they're doing in verse 25. At midnight, they're singing and praying hymns to God. Now, this is the oddest thing, and here's what I want to suggest to you. I would be wanting my lawyer, wanting my wife to hold my hand. Are you with me today? I would be complaining. But here they were. They saw it as a captive audience to tell people about Jesus. 
And what they were doing is they were in their prayers and testimony and in their singing, giving a vocal witness to all the people that were there. Well, suddenly God shows up. It's a massive earthquake. Chains literally fell off the prisoners. The doors come open. The jailer runs to the dungeon, falls down trembling, and asks this most interesting question. He said, sirs, say it with me. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And they replied to him, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. There's the word again. They shared the word of the Lord with him, with all who lived in his household, and then he and all his family are baptized in water immediately. That's what happened in the New Testament. Commit your life to Christ and baptize in the water. Let me go back to the big question. How did the jailer know to ask Paul about being saved? You ever thought of that? How did he know? Well, I want to suggest to you that the most likely answer is that Paul, through his testimony, through his singing, through his praying, was actually witnessing to the people that were around him. Uh, he, telling people about Jesus was a constant way of life for Paul. And as I look at my life, I'm 61 now, I know I don't look it, but uh, when I was in my 20s, I came to Christ at 19, I was much more of a fiery witness for Christ. I would talk to anybody and everything, you know, whenever I went. It's almost like when I've gotten older, I've lost some of that. And I want more of that to come back. I want to have a greater burden for my neighbors. I want to have a greater a burden for people in Walmart. I want to have a greater burden because how many know everybody's going to either heaven or hell? And we could be the person in the middle. Now, why again, though, is this so important to Paul? Why would a guy wrongfully imprisoned and hurting care about other people? Let me tell you unequivocally, it's because he knew that eternity, heaven, hell are real. Jesus Christ himself looked into the future at the day of judgment. And Jesus said, some will go into eternal punishment, but the righteous into what? Eternal life. Jesus talked that they, taught us that there's a real place called hell. It was prepared for the devil and his angels, but the Bible says those that reject Christ as their Savior will go there and they'll spend there all eternity. I don't know about you, but there's nothing in this life that, 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 that doesn't finally come around. If you have a dentist appointment and he's going to pull a tooth in a week, it seems like every day you can't wait and finally he pulls it and it's over and you're healed and you're on with your life. But eternity is forever. And there is no change. And when I was a young, young, uh, a young man listening to rock and roll, there was a highway to hell. Well, there is a highway to hell. People would say, in hell, I'll party with my buddies. We're going to get high. No, you're not. Hell is a place of darkness. It's a place of torment. It's a place of such pain where there's grinding and gnashing of teeth. It's a real place, but you can save someone. I guarantee you. If, if, if a crisis happened, if someone was having a seizure in the church service, every medical person in this room would go to them and try to help them. If on your way home a house was on fire and you knew people were in there, you'd go and try to help them get out. How much more should we be a savior to people's eternal soul? The Bible teaches there is life after death. The question is, where will we spend eternity? And helping people get to heaven was a driving force in Paul's life. And I suggest to you it can be in ours. Let me read you what he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul said, even though I'm a free man with no master, which means I, I do whatever I want to do. 
Nobody forces me to do anything. Like all, virtually all of us, particularly we as adults, we live the life of our choosing. If we need something we don't have, we borrow money. If we, you know, we have an ambition for a career, we, go, we just do whatever we want to do. We watch TV, we go to the movies. We get hamburgers or we get pizza. But Paul said, I've got nobody telling me to do this. But he said, I've become a slave to all people to, to bring many to Christ. Whether it was the person in the Walmart, whether it was a family member, whether it was someone at work, he said, I want to do everything I can to see them get to heaven. And then he gives three examples. When I was with the Jews, I, I live like a Jew to do what? Bring the Jews to Christ. When I'm with Gentiles who don't follow Jewish law, I live apart from the law. Why? So I can bring them to Christ. And when I'm with those who are weak, I share the weaknesses. Why? So bring them to Christ. And listen to this amazing verse. I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. And I want to suggest to you, if it is a banner scripture to take home with you today, if there is a prayer that you and I can and should pray, is that you and I would become people that are doing everything in our power to bring as many people as we can to Christ. Now, we're talking about our personal witness, but there's simple things like a little Bible globe over there. We put dollars in it and change, and once it gets up to $1,000, we send it to people in the persecuted church or the underground church. A few weeks ago, we sent $2,000 through a ministry that goes and trains underground pastors, putting Bibles in the hands, and people will come to Christ. Last week, we told you we bought a bus for Hindu students uh, in India so they could be picked up and brought to a Christian school. Uh, we do all these things so people will make steps to Christ. Paul said though in verse 23, I do everything to spread the good news or the gospel and to share its blessing. Let's dig a little deeper. What is the gospel? And why is it called good news? Paul tells us very clearly, 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I want to remind you, brothers, of the the gospel or the good news I preached or I shared to you by which you are being now that's this key word we're going to I'm going to explain in a moment and then he tells us what the gospel or the good news is I delivered to you of first importance that which I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures the first and primary thing of this good news is that Jesus died in my place Jesus died not because he was a criminal, but he died because I had a sin problem. And the Bible says, while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. He took my place. It's like I have a, a car payment and I can't pay it and they're coming to repo my car and someone comes up and writes a check paid in full. Did it? That's good news. He was buried. That's the punishment. And then the third thing, he was raised on the third day. In other words, he came back to life after he died, which gives every one of us in this room hope for eternal life after we die. I read an article this week, and I did a radio spot about it. It was about a man, and he has a technology company, and he believes that he can put our soul on a microchip. He's going to put your soul on a microchip, and then they're going to put it in another human body, and you'll be able to live forever. And I wish I could tell him, I could say, that's not the way you live forever. We die because of sin. It is a problem. Our problem is sin. It's like a terminal disease. Last night, uh, uh, someone came forward for prayer, and they said, I, I have leukemia. My wife was diagnosed with cancer five years ago. She's cancer-free, praise the Lord. But 
when you hear the diagnosis, it carries with it the, the assumption of death. If people die for cancer, sin is worse than cancer. All of us have sinned, and sin separates us from God. The reason we came in this place today and worshipped an unseen God is because in the Garden of Eden when Adam sinned, it put a wall of separation between us. But one day we'll see God face to face. You see, sin, sin separates us from God, and sin will send people to hell. But the good news is Jesus rose from the dead, and he opened the door to eternal life. It's as if when Jesus died on the cross, he took the judgment for my sins. He was judged so I wouldn't have to be. On judgment day when I stand before God, it's as if when they call my name and, I, and I'm there standing before God, Jesus will stand in front of me as my advocate, as my attorney, saying, no, I'm representing today. I took his sin. I died in his place. See, this is why this is good news. Romans 5, 8 says, while we were, uh, God shows his love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this is why the Christian religion is different than any other religion in the world. Jesus said, I am the way, definite article, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It is the cross that takes the penalty of sin unlike any other religion. Now, I want to go back to the question we've been asking all along. What does it mean to be saved and why is it so important? To be saved by the most simple definition is to be spared from eternal judgment. You will not hear about hell, you will, unless somebody cusses, but you won't hear about hell, you won't hear about sin on Fox or CNN or MSNBC. It's not in our culture, but it is in God's vernacular. And to be saved is to be spared from eternal judgment. The power of sin and hell is canceled when you believe and follow Jesus Christ. In Noah's day, when Noah was on the earth, Noah begged a generation. He begged people for a hundred years that they would come to God. And that ark was a picture, a saving picture of Christ. And Noah and his family went in the ark. The flood came and the door shut. And they were spared. They were saved. And that's the same salvation that God wants to bring to all of us. So with that broad background, I, I, I want to get very practical the last few minutes. And we're going to have a little fun. But I, I want to tell you how to start a conversation to lead someone to Christ. Most of us never start the conversation. Most of us, if we do, we stumble around like I did earlier, and we can barely get it out of our mouth. But I'm going to tell you through three simple questions how you can get right to the point without being offensive. And here's the first question. Go ahead and put it up. It's very simple. Oh, I'm sorry. It's on this. Uh, next question. No, 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 no. We had it in last service. Yeah, there we go, there we go, there we go, there we go. Okay, now I don't care where you are. I don't care if you're in the mall sitting on a bench. I don't care if you're at Chick-fil-A and the kids are playing and your friend is there. I don't care if you've played around the golf and uh, you're sitting in the clubhouse and your buddy's drinking a beer. I don't care where you are and you feel you want, you need to talk to them about their spiritual life, just ask them this question. Can I ask you a serious question about your spiritual life? Now, they're going to tell you yes or no. They may say H, no, and if they say H, no, then you probably don't want to say them. Are you with me today? But more than likely, they're not going to say that. You just ask that simple, straightforward question, can I ask you a serious question about your spiritual life? 
Let me show you how easy it is. I want you to turn to two people and ask them that question. Now, if you don't do it, you're going to have to take me to lunch. And I'm looking out across the congregation. Just turn to someone you don't know and just say, can I ask you a serious question about your spiritual life? I'm going to lunch with you back there. Uh, now, you're a little loose a little bit. Now, now, now turn around. Turn to someone behind you or someone in front of you. Come on now. Turn around, John. Turn around, and I want you to ask that distinguished man behind you and just say, can I ask you a serious question about your spiritual life? Dave Herberger, please ask somebody. Can I ask you a serious question about your spiritual life? Now look at you. Now, and how many can say, that was a little hard, preacher? Okay, did anyone get bitten? Let me see your hand. You're lying, you didn't get bitten. Did, did anyone get cursed at? No, you didn't. Did anyone, did anyone get spit at? No, so it wasn't that hard a thing. And if they said no, they're on their merry way. What that does is it gives the, they've given you permission to ask these two most important questions that will tell you exactly where they are spiritually. Here's the first one. Are you 100% sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven? Are you 100% sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven? I can say that in one breath. We're practicing again. Turn to the person next to you and ask them. Are you 100% sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven? Come on, girls, I'm watching now. I'm wa come on, you, you, turn around and ask somebody behind you. Are you asking somebody? Are, are you 100% sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven? Let me ask you, how many can say, that's the hardest thing I've ever done in my whole life, Pastor? Anybody? Okay, one person, God bless you, dear. That wasn't hard. But there's another question. Yeah, not in here. But, but, but there's another question. Because you know what I found in my life, and I've done this for years. My dear friend, uh, uh, Dr. Ron Hammonds, developed this little, little simple way. But I found that the majority of people will say yes. But that doesn't mean they're going to heaven. This next question is most revealing. It's a little bit longer. But if you died today, and I say it kind of like this. Let's say we're at Chick-fil-A. I would say, look, man, I, uh, uh, I pray to God this never happens. But what if some crazy guy with a gun comes in here and shoots us? And if we died right now, and we're standing before God, and God says, why should I let you into heaven? What would you tell him? Now that is revealing. Because most people will say something like, I've been a good person. Most people will say, I never killed anybody. Those are both good things, but that's not what the Bible teaches. Anything other than I've received Christ as my Savior, I believe in Jesus, tells you that they are not approaching salvation God's way. Now that's a little tougher question. If you died today and are standing before Jesus, and he says, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? You have to take two breaths on that, but guess what I want you to do now? Do it again. I want you to practice that question. This is the last one. You never have to come to church here again, but this morning I want you to do this. Come on now. Turn around. Ask somebody.
I see a lot of people back there that I'm going to dinner. We might as well all go to one place today. We'll all go to Cracker Barrel. All right. Now, arguably, it was a little bit uncomfortable. By the way, all these notes verbatim, are, you can download them if, if this is important to you. But, but can you see where we're going with this? If I really care about people's eternal soul, I'll do something. I, I have a lot of regrets in my life. I remember when I was in the Navy many, many moons ago, uh, and, and again, I'm ashamed to say it, but I was more on fire for personal witnessing than I am today. I want to do that more. But I remember this one guy, he was a petty officer first class, and I was third class, so I was intimidated by the guy a little bit. And I really felt this burden, and I, 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 I thought it was the Lord, but I was just scared to talk to the guy. And this is a true story. That guy got in an accident, and he died. And I felt like I should have been one to kind of stand in the gap. So there's nothing more important than this. But here's the question. You got your little cards? All right. So what if now, mind you, you asked them for permission. Can I ask you a question about your spiritual life? And they told you something other than the biblical answer. And you simply say then, can I tell you what the Bible says? Well, guess what's on the back of this card? Now, the front part's got some cool things about the church, but guess what's on the back of this card? It's a plan of salvation. And the most simple thing you can tell them, what's it say? Problem, what's next? Consequence, what's next? Solution, and then what? Decision. Let, let's look at these together, and uh, you can leave the card up if you're able to. But here's the problem. The problem is, we've all sinned. You know, you've told me you're a good person and being good is great, but how many sins does it take to make a sinner? It only takes one. And to sin is to violate God's commands, and everybody's broken them. But here's what you don't hear in our culture. There's consequence for sin. Our culture says, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Well, after we die, there's nothing in the culture. But the consequence for sin... Listen, is not good. Romans says that uh, uh, the wages of sin is death. And death, you might tell them this. This sin is why people die physically. But this word death also refers to spiritual death. It is a separation from God in a real place called hell. And don't be embarrassed to say that. Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. Because it's real. And there is a consequence. But the solution is good news. The solution is, and you'll see it there, is that Jesus died for our sins. And it quotes Romans 5, 8. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die while we were still sinners. Now, that's a phrase that a lot of people know, but I make it personal, and here's what I say. I say, let me give you an example of what about it means that Jesus died in my place. Uh, I'm from, does anyone remember the shooting at Outback a few years ago where, where those people, three people were murdered by a former employee? Well, chances are real good. I didn't follow the case, but chances are good that that guy that did the murdering is going to end up in Houston on death row. And in Texas, you know, you reach the end. It's over. Uh, but imagine if I had murdered someone. And this is what you're telling the person at Chick-fil-A. Imagine if I had gotten angry at someone and I murdered them and I killed them. And they, I, I'm guilty. And I go to, uh, to jail, uh, I'm convicted, I've gone through all the appeal processes, and I'm sitting in an electric chair. Now, I don't know how they do it now in Houston, but imagine the electric chair. I'm strapped in, they're waiting for that midnight hour, and Jesus Christ walks in the room. And everyone is shocked beyond measure, and Jesus looks at me, knowing what I've done wrong, 
and said, would you like for me to die in your place? Well, naturally, get me out of here. Jesus comes over and he takes the shackles off my hands. I get up and then Jesus sits down. He looks at me and he says, strap me in. And then Jesus looks at the warden and said, I want you to pull the switch. I love him so much, I'm going to give my life in exchange for his. And the warden nods, hits the switch, Jesus dies. And then the warden looks at me and said, you're free to go. Someone else paid the penalty for your crime. Well, this is what it means. The solution is good news, that Jesus died on the cross, that God loves us. He took our place. Now, the decision, and if you've never done this, I promise you, this will be one of the coolest things you will have ever done in your life. This person's already given you permission to take them this far. Let's go to the decision. Uh, yeah, there you go. The decision. And this is what you want to ask them. Do you believe in Jesus? I mean, know oh, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever believes in Him. That doesn't mean straighten your act up. That doesn't mean got your life together, gone to Bible college. It means you're willing to put your trust in Christ. Are you willing to, do you believe in Jesus? I bet you they'll say yes. Are you willing to turn from your sin? Repent. This is missing in much preaching today. But you cannot follow the Savior until you stop following yourself. Repentance is turn around. Are you willing to follow Jesus? Not be perfect and never make a mistake, but are you willing to follow Christ? You know, repentance was the first thing Jesus preached, John the Baptist preached, Peter preached on Pentecost. Turn around and follow God. Are you willing to repent? Yes, I am. Here's the biggie. Would you like to pray to receive Jesus as your Savior? Folks, if you've got them that far, I can virtually guarantee you they're going to say yes. And before you know it, you're bowing your head and somebody is being born again. You're bowing your head and somebody's being saved. You're bowing your head and somebody has been taken from a sinner's hell and is on the way to heaven. All because you were willing to open your mouth and tell them the good news. Don't leave them there, though. After they make this decision, what's next? You want to encourage them. Here we go. You want to encourage them. Listen, if you know them, hopefully you'll get their phone number and you'll say, I'll see you next week, disciple them. But if you know them, encourage them to read their Bible every day. If they don't have one, buy them one. Or I'll buy them one if they don't have one. We'll give them one. But, but read your Bible every day. Pray every day. Get involved in a Bible-believing church. Very, very important. Be baptized in water. And then tell others what Jesus has done for you. I want to tell you, if you've done that, man, and that person heads off on that course, you've just set a rocket ship in orbit. And that's exactly what I... Listen, somebody just gave me a Gideon New Testament with all those scriptures that I shared with you. I wrote my name in the back of that thing, and then I connected myself with a group called the Navigators, and before I know it, I was a Christian on fire, living for God, and here I am 40-something years later, still doing it because somebody shared Christ with me. Come on, give the Lord a good hand. He's worthy of praise. Now I'm going to close with this. Remember our scripture? The promise that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved? But it asks the question... How can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear unless someone tells them? Well, my friend, you and I are that someone. And there is nothing more significant 
that you can do with your life to make an eternal impact and tell someone about the Savior. I'll close with a couple of stories. I was thinking about this in my own life, but I remember when I was in the Navy many moons ago, and uh, I was trained in electronics. They sent me to Alaska, ADAC Alaska, and uh, in their wisdom, they put me in the chow hall or the galley or the kitchen for nine months. And I remember I was back there, and, and I was this nobody. It was called an E2 back then. I was nothing. And there was a third class. He was just a bigger nothing, but he was my boss in the kitchen. And I'll never forget, his name was Sparks, his last name. And uh, I can see his face right now. He had a mustache, dark brown. And uh, have you ever heard the phrase, cuss like a sailor? This is Sparks. Everything was GD this and GD that and blah, blah, blah. Well, before you know it, we, gave, we brought milk into the cafeteria area in like these square uh, cardboard containers. They had like 10, 15 gallons. They were huge. And we had this cart we were pushing along, and the cart wheel uh, quit working. It kind of hung up or something. Well, the milk almost fell off. He went into this tirade, GD the milk. And I said, Sparks, if God damned that milk, what would we do with all that spoiled milk? And he looked at me, and he said, oh. But what it did is it pierced his heart. And a few days later, we're kneeling down together in one little, out, in little, little, little storage areas, and he committed his life to Jesus Christ. Amen. I'll see him in heaven. Just a couple years ago, one of our neighbors, I have a habit every Christmas, every Easter, I go through my neighborhood, and I put little church invites in everybody's box. Invite him to church. Well, this one house, a policeman lived there, a former policeman. He had uh, Rottweilers, uh, scary kind of deal. And, you know, I asked him if he'd like church. No. I said, okay, God bless you. Well, about, I don't know, six months later, nine months, whatever it was, we're at home on a Monday. That's our day off on Monday after the weekend. And, and, and I noticed this car drove up. I didn't recognize it. And he got out of the car. And he came up to me with tears in his eyes. He said, Preacher, can you help me get right with God? And it was my great privilege to pray with him on our front porch as he committed his life to Christ. And unbeknownst to him and, or me, about a year later, he went in for day surgery and he died on the table. You never know, friend, but when you rescue someone, when you share with them the good news, you could be holding their hand and holding the hand of God and the one that points him to Christ for eternal life. Come on, give the Lord a big hand today. He's worthy of praise. Why don't you stand to your feet, and we're going we're gonna to pray today. I, I, I hope you not only heard this, but my hope is that you'll do it. And you that gotten, got bit, spit at, and cursed in church, I'll be happy to visit with you later. No. It'll be the most meaningful thing, one of the most meaningful things that happen in your life if you lead someone to Christ. But you know, like I told you earlier, it, it intimidates me. I'm intimidated. I get scared. I wonder what if they won't like me. But you know what? The heck with all that. The potential to reach a person for Christ is worth it. Could we just pray and ask the Lord to give us boldness? I want you to just bow your head, and, and, and I want this to be a prayer you pray. Just say, Lord, would you help me take this to heart?
Would you help me be burdened for lost people? Help me have a, a burden for people that need Christ. And Lord, would you give me opportunities and boldness to ask them a simple question. Can I ask you a serious question about your spiritual life? Holy Spirit, you promised us in Acts 1-8 that you'd give us the Holy Spirit to give us power. And we're asking specifically that power was to be a witness. And I want to ask you to and I just reach out to heaven and just say, Lord, would you anoint me as a witness for Christ that I would boldly and unashamedly tell people about my Savior. Help me, Holy Spirit. Don't let me miss the greatest chance for significance in my life. Amen. Listen, next week we're going to start a series about healthy relationships. It'll help you if you're married, help you if you've got kids, your close friendships. But before we close today, we, we normally have a prayer time in the middle of service, but we had communion. So we're going to have one last song, and I'm going to invite our prayer team to the front. And if you have a prayer need for anything, there'll be someone here to talk to you. But I want to specifically ask you today, you know, this has been a message very much to Christians. But maybe earlier when we asked the question, are, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven if you died today? M maybe you couldn't say yes. And this whole service then could really be about you about helping you make the step to Christ. I'm not asking you to join a church. I'm simply trying to point you to the Savior, Jesus Christ. When I was 19 years of age, I, I was joining the Navy, running away from my problems. And a Gideon came at lunchtime, and he gave all of us uh, sailors going to boot camp a Bible. And the words of that back of that Bible I read are the words that I shared with you today. It changed my life. See, I was at a place of life where I was trying to find happiness. I was 19. I found that relationships didn't do it. Alcohol didn't do it. College didn't do it. Being on a college scholarship, playing football didn't do it. Something was missing. It was kind of like a God-shaped hole in my heart. And what that man did is told me how to fill that hole. He told me that I needed to ask God to forgive me for my sins and listen, turn my life and follow him. And maybe that's what you need to do today. Maybe you feel right now that I'm talking directly to you. Well, can I tell you, friend, that's the Holy Spirit. Maybe there was a time in your life where you walked closely with Christ and you've got away from Him. Whatever the case may be. But if today is a day you want to get right with God, we would be honored to pray with you. And I'm going to ask you, and they start playing just a second. If this is you and you need to commit your life to Christ, you need to receive Him as your Savior and you're ready to begin to follow Him, I'm going to ask you to take a very bold step and just slip out of your chair and meet someone at the cross. They will not embarrass you, but they will pray with you and they'll help you with this greatest step of your life. So let's go ahead right now, begin to sing that song. Our prayer team is coming to the front. If you need prayer for anything, prayer team, come on up here right now. But most importantly, if you need to get right with Christ, if you need to receive Jesus as your Savior, slip out of your chair and Pastor Cole will meet you there and he'll pray with you. I love you. Thanks for coming today.